you have a question about your home? Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single-family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. I pulled up some carpet in my basement and there was linoleum put down. How can I get that up? Uh, there are products that will release the adhesive. You're probably going to have to take a floor scraper and it'll work a little quicker for you, but you're still going to take a lot of elbow grease. I wish I could tell you there was a real simple solution of just put something down and scrape it up with a shovel or something, but there's not that I know of. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Ken is here every weekend at this time answering questions about your home inside or out. You can reach us always at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to the website kenthecontractor.com. There are plenty of us out there that love the colder season, colder time of the year, and there are also plenty that say, I'll be glad when spring and summer makes it here. But what I want to tell you is there's a little something you might want to do to take advantage of the cold weather uh, if you happen to be living in that climate at this time. And that is find some of those air leaks that you say, I'll take care of them later. There's no better time to find an area where you have cold air coming in because that also means you have the cold air from the inside escaping in the summer months. And it's more difficult to find that when it's hot outside. So do yourself a favor, spend a little bit of time around the house, and do checking on some of the areas that I'm going to mention to you in just a moment. But the air coming from the outside has a great deal to do, obviously, with the energy efficiency of our home. Secondly, the things we leave plugged in have a lot to do with that operating cost. It's not just our furnace, but it's everything from the cell phone chargers to the TV sets that we have plugged in constantly. So all of these together have a real impact on what our energy cost may be as we move throughout the year. But sealing air leaks can be one of the number one areas that you can help yourself both in the cold months when you're trying to heat and in the hot months when you're trying to cool. So take a few moments, walk around the outside of the house, go around the inside of the house. First, I say the outside first because that gives you a visual observation of things that need repairing. If you see holes in the wall, you know there's some obvious places to start. But the best thing you can do on a cold day is to walk around the inside of the house. If you happen to have a telephone line coming through the wall, you have a refrigeration line for that HVAC unit, you've got a dryer vent that's penetrating the wall, a regular plumbing line. It doesn't matter. If there's something going through the wall, and if you're on a crawl space, if it's going through the floor, or in some cases it may go through the attic, you need to put your hand around that and see if you can detect cold air coming in. Because if you can, that is a constant source during the cooler months of that outside air working against those dollars you've paid to have a comfortable interior environment. You want to be sure those are sealed. This may mean that you need to put weather stripping around places like doors and windows. You may need to replace it or you may need to add new. You may need to caulk around many of these pipe penetrations. Very inexpensive items can save you big dollars as you go forward. One of the other areas that I want you to think about is how long have you been in the house? If you've been in a house uh, 40 years or so, or it's a house that was built 50, 60 years ago, you're not even sure if it has insulation, you want to check that first in the attic. Be sure you do. But if you're saying, yeah, I know I've got insulation, I built the house 35 years ago, uh, you may find that you need to add insulation because over time, houses typically that are 30, 35 years, that insulation settles. It loses those voids in between the fibers, so it loses much of the effectiveness 
or the insulation value that it had when it was new. And especially for those of you that will have cellulose used as insulation. Now, cellulose was old newspapers. It was cut up. It's still used and other fibers along those lines and treated so it's not flammable. Those tend to compress or compact more readily than fiberglass materials do. So if you live in a home that's built, uh, and you're probably talking 75 to 80% of the homes across the country 35 to 40 years ago, you may want to check that attic insulation and see if you have cold air getting into that heated space that's driving your operating cost up. One of the big things, though, that the Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Energy are telling us is that we want to think about the things we leave plugged in and turned on all the time. You're saying, Ken, when I leave the house, the lights are off. I don't have anything else on. My TV is off. Folks, it's all the things that we leave on that are on standby that's still zapping our energy. And it may be everything from the TV set to the uh, DVR. It may be the refrigerator that we want constantly running or when it should, at least a cycle. But there are things that we leave plugged in. It can be battery chargers. It can be our computers that we leave turned on constantly and running. Other items that are not active, meaning we're not sitting there using them. But according to many of these government studies, we are spending hundreds of dollars a year in some places. The average across the nation may be $100 to $150, according to one report, just by leaving the various items turned on and plugged in. U.S. households have approximately 40 devices, including TVs, cell phone chargers, computers that continually draw energy. And one of the areas that's recommended This is something for me, not just for you, that we need to pay attention to. They're suggesting, the EPA and others, that we consider putting many of these devices on power strips that we can readily turn off as we leave. Now, that means we don't have to go turn off or unplug three or four or five items. A lot of these power strips will handle five, six, seven items. You hit one switch, and all of a sudden they're off. And there are others that are available in the market today that are actually Time regulated, they will automatically turn these off. Some will allow you to set a time control so you can turn them back on or they will be on when you show up at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, whenever you get home in the evening. So there are things we can do that save dollars. And you're thinking, you're saying, well, you know, it, it can't draw that much power. But if you multiply it times 40, all of a sudden now we're getting into some real money. A few cents here, a few cents there adds to a dollar and a few of those dollars gets you to 100, and one or two of those gets you to four and 500. Now we're talking serious money, folks. So, again, do some things if you're interested. If you're looking at that energy cost, that light bill every month saying, man, it just keeps going up and up. We've got a rate increase. I want to do my part. What can I do? I'm lowering the thermostat. This is just one more step recommended by the U.S. Department of Energy and others to help us cut back on energy consumption in our homes. Well, and, and I think the point that should be made that you were talking about, and people may not realize this, and I've gotten into long, protracted discussions with my kids and stuff, and that is if it's plugged in on many of these pieces of electricity, uh, many of these pieces of equipment, computers, televisions, particularly the big screen TVs, they're still drawing energy even though they're not on. And it can be a fair amount in some of the TVs, especially the older big screens, the earlier versions. They're in a standby mode. So when we hit that button on the remote, which we love, it it instantly comes on. That's because it was in a warm-up mode. So it's drawing more power than just that little LED light you see on it. And that's one thing you should consider when you look to purchase some of these things. They are uh, The manufacturers now are obviously, they're very much in tune to what we're thinking about, often months or years before it really starts to have an impact uh, in the market. And that is 
that these folks are saying, look, we want to make these as energy efficient as possible. And you can find those units now if you do search them out. Well, actually, I think they're becoming pretty common. Let's refer to TVs. Uh, LG is one that I think is leading the way. We look at Motorola and a few others. That now when you hit that remote, it doesn't come on instantly like the older ones did. Now it may take five to ten seconds. We've got to be a little more patient, but we're saving that energy because it's not in this constant warm or standby mode. It's still ready to go when you hit the button, but it takes a little warming up, if you will. And I use that term loosely uh, for it to be energized and come up to full color. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. If you have a question for him about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. Don't forget, you can email him questions at our website, KenTheContractor.com. You can also friend us on, friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. Remember, a house is what you build, a home is what you make it. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. If you have a question for Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, you can reach us at 800-614-2975. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? You can join us. Again, our contact number is 800-614-2975. And also, you can post your questions online at Ken's website, KenTheContractor.com. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and also follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. We're going to go back to the phones right now. Uh, the number to dial again, 800-614-2975. That's the number Will dialed. He joins us right now. Hi, Will. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Okay, I just got a question um, about a, a roof. We have an addition on our house, and we've had the house for a year, and um, when we got it inspected to buy it, the inspector said we have like nine years on the shingles. So my question is that we just have a little leak over our dining room table. Is it possible for just part of the roof to be kind of peeled off and re-shingled only about a 10-foot section and blended in with the other roof rather than having to do the whole roof again? Yes, it is. The roof is not... uh, It's not an area, though, that you're going to find that it can be repaired without you noticing it. The fact that he's saying you have about nine years of useful life in those shingles tells me that it's been up there probably 15 to 20 years, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to have some shingles from the original installation, even those would not be an identical match because of the years of wear and air pollution and, and those type items. But if the shingle is one that you can match fairly close, and the leak is caused by damage to the shingle, then I would encourage you to do that. It's certainly going to cost you a lot less money than re-roofing the entire home and then knowing that over a period of maybe the next five to nine years, uh, as time permits and budget permits, that you're going to look at re-roofing the whole thing then. Right. Now, I, I do want to ask a couple of questions. Do you know for a fact that the leak is caused by a damage in a shingle or shingle area, or could it be flashing, a vent ridge, a valley flashing, or perhaps around a roof penetration such as a vent stack? Well, I've actually um, went up on the roof and um, put the tar around all those sections and actually got up on the roof with the uh, water hose, and we found out where the we have a certain location where the leak is and i tried to patch it myself but i'm just really not seem to have any luck and i know that a board at least one or two boards uh pieces of plywood might need to be replaced because you can tell when you walk on it uh, okay. I, I don't know the trussles are damaged or anything because we can you know see up in there but um 
Have you been into the attic space to see how much water has come in to see the, the black marks and the staining on the plywood? On um, no, we haven't. It's, actually, it's the um, it's not even an attic area because it's like an addition. So it's you only have about two feet of you know you have your insulation and then your ceiling insulation and there's the roof and it's only like about a foot two foot tall. Okay, so is this uh, likely to be a result of the addition? You think? Yeah. Okay. Well, clearly you can do what you want to do in terms of the shingles. You can pull a segment off, whether you're replacing a square, which is 100 square feet. You're just replacing a bundle. But what you want to do is cover enough of the area that you know you've resolved the leak problem. And I have to commend you. You've done what I've recommended people do for so many years, and that is get up on the roof if you're capable. I don't encourage everybody to get on the roof. But take a water hose up there and start low because the water, obviously, if it's if it's leaking high, you've got to go up so far before that water will show up. But even doing that, you have a hard time isolating the exact shingle, and that's what I've heard you express, is you know the general area, mm-hmm. and you know you can make it leak, but you can't find the exact shingle. And typically when I have discovered roof leaks in that fashion on older roofs, it's water getting in through a crack in a shingle, and then it may be running down one shingle or more and getting into the nail that's covered by the uh, the tab over the top of it. Mm-hmm. And those are extremely difficult to find. But I think you're on the right track. If you want to pick up a bundle of shingles, two or three bundles, three bundles will be a square, 100 square feet, and replace those. And you should be good to go for a while. But the main thing is you want to address it so you don't continue to have the rot and other damage issues and have it get into your structure. And, of course, if you need to pull off more to replace the plywood underneath that, now's the time to do it. Right. Now, I was actually thinking about hiring a contractor to do it, but I was wondering if, because I'm, you know, I can do some things, but uh, I'm not really too inclined to do a whole bunch. But um, Well, it's always good to know our limits. Right. And uh, I, I encourage folks to, to do just that. I know mine on certain things, and some days it's just right to go hire a professional. There are plenty of good shingle roofing contractors in most every market, but I encourage you to do a couple of things. One, to acquire at least three bids because you're going to find they'll run the gamut. But you want to be sure first that you're establishing a scope of work. You're telling them, for bid purposes, I want you to plan on replacing, let's say, 100 square feet of shingle area and and two sheets of plywood if that's what you think is damaged. Right. If you do that, then you're giving all of your bidders the same scope of work. You're not going to come back with somebody saying, oh, I'm going to replace 500 square feet, somebody else replacing 100. You'll have a hard time evaluating that. Right. And once you have a base spec established, then you're saying, now I want a price per square to go beyond that. And that's how shingles are sold and roofers put them down is price per square. And a square is 100 square feet. Okay, 100 square feet. Right. And then you want to ask them for a price per sheet to remove and replace damaged or rotted plywood. Okay. But what you've done then is you've established a, a level playing field for at least three roofers to say I'm going to give you my base bid based on these guidelines that you've established, Mm -hmm. and then here's my cost if the work goes beyond this. This is what I'm going to charge you. That's great. I'm I'm glad I talked to you. I'm glad you called because if you go beyond that, it's a blank check, and you could have a $300 item that becomes $1,500, and I don't want to see anybody in that situation. I was was thinking about that, too. I was like, I don't want somebody to... Okay, sad to say, you know, you well, definitely got to watch your back sometimes. You do, and but this is how the pros handle it. I've yeah. done this for a long time, and this okay. is how you need to be dealing with it. Again, it gives you a baseline, and then it gives you an ad for each of these items that go beyond that so that up front you got a pretty good idea of where you're headed. Also, you want to be sure of the people you're getting bids from that you have references. 
And whoever you finally select, you want to be certain that you have a certificate of insurance from them for their workman's comp and their general liability insurance. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Ken. We appreciate you listening. Thanks for your call. All right, thank you. Mm Bye-bye. Don't forget, if you do have a question for Ken, you can reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or also post your questions, both written questions and also voicemail questions at KenTheContractor.com. And I do have to remind everybody, uh, as I do from time to time, buy American-made products where you can. And it's really that simple for me to say. What I want to tell you is that I've paid a lot of attention over the last several months, and one of the things that I've noticed, at least with products that are involved in the construction industry, that manufacturers are starting to get the message that many of us out there are willing to invest in American-made products. You're finding an American flag and the words Made in America in very prominent locations on everything from, as we were just talking, shingles to drywall compound, and so many other items. It's not just the labels that we look at on the the gondola or the counter where the product is displayed that may or may not be there, but they're actually printing it on the cover, on these bags, on these boxes. I think they're paying a little bit of attention to the fact that if we're spending our dollars in this country, we're putting people back to work, and that is great for all of us. So buy American-made products every time you get a chance. Well, we see the other trend that you folks in the marketplace have done, and that's the organic or green movement in a lot of different areas. The reason that a lot of folks are responding is because you, the consumer, is asking for it. They listen to us. They really do. You may not think it today or tomorrow, but track it over a period of several months. People will pay attention. They're going to give us what we're looking for. Back with more right after this. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. Thanks for making us part of your weekend. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Ken the Contractor is here to help you with your home improvement projects this weekend and also answer the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can give us a call and forward your question to Ken at 800-614-2975 or you can send it to the website, KenTheContractor.com. We've got a bunch of those. we get got a bunch of those each and every week. We try to pull out some of the more interesting ones. Ken answers each question that goes through the website, but we try to bring some of the more interesting ones to the radio, those that we think are applicable for many of you. And Ken, we, we mentioned in an earlier portion of our program that fencing is one area that we spend a lot of time talking about and probably one of the other areas that we spend an enormous amount of time talking about are questions relating to roofs well that's one thing that most all of us have in common if you live in a house you've got a roof now if you live in a condo you may say i don't have a roof but somewhere in your building you do if you're on the third floor out of a six-story building there's still a roof and if water gets in at the top, it can have an effect on you, even if you're sandwiched in the middle of that building, folks. So let's talk a little bit about some of the roofing issues that people bring to us from time to time. And I know there's some of you listening in warm climate areas and some of you that are dealing with snow. So I want to talk about items particularly that deal with colder climates, but does affect some of you in, in a warmer area. That has to do with ice dams. And I'm not talking about water dams. Uh, you know, I'm talking about things that build up and create problems on your roof and how you avoid that. As Jim said, fencing's a big question, but roof problems happen to be another one. I want to advise all of you first, as you, no matter what the season is, if it's the time to be doing an inspection on your home, uh, if you can get outside, pay attention to the roof especially, but also your windows, doors, and your overall structure. But on the roof, there's some very obvious things to look at. One's going to be every place you've got a penetration, there's a potential leak there. Shingles, flashing cracks, or separation in those areas. But in the winter months, for many of you, the biggest single problem has to do with water building up and getting back in your house along the eaves and in your valleys. 
And that's because ice builds up in your gutter system, snow builds up in the gutter system, it thaws, and so it starts to melt a little bit, run down those shingles, and then it refreezes. And as water freezes, it will actually encroach. It will move vertically under your shingles as it freezes because it's expanding. And it's uh, all of this is driven by several things. One, obviously, the weather that you can't control, but also the amount of insulation that you may have in your attic space, heat that's vented in that area that can create warm spots that cause it to melt more rapidly and then to refreeze at night and back up in the roof areas. First thing I want you to do is if you've had problems inside the home, let's pay attention. Do you have any water staining where your ceiling meets the outside walls? Because that's the most common place to see the results of ice dams and this building back up and creating damage. If you don't address this, not only are you going to have a water stain, you're going to have a rotted roof substrate, the plywood, the boards that's under that, perhaps your trusses, perhaps even some of your wood framing. So this is a big item. It's one reason I wanted to bring this up and talk about it for just a moment and let all of you know, don't let this go. You can't deal with it when there's snow up there or when there's ice, but as soon as you can, deal with this problem. Also, for those of you that are in a warmer environment, you may want to think about some added flashing if you're repairing, remodeling, re-roofing in your valleys because typically this is where we see a lot of water and driving rains as well. Ice and Water Shield is a great product. Many companies manufacture it. Again, that's Ice and Water Shield to help prevent not only rainwater from blowing up under shingles, especially if you have a low-profile roof, but to eliminate the problems from these ice dams. We'll get back to the roof in just a second, but Bob's got a question that relates right now. Bob, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yes, I have a a two-car garage that's that's unheated, that's connected to the main house. Um, on Next to the outer wall, inside the outer wall, is a copper tubing that comes out of the cistern, and I draw water from it in the winter, uh, I mean in the summer. Uh, in the winter, should I drain that copper pipe? Copper I would. Tubing? But you're saying this copper pipe is in your garage? Yes, it's next to the outer wall. Okay, is, is your garage insulated? I know you said it's not heated, but is it finished with insulation in the walls? I think it is. It, it, it's chilly there in, yeah. at night, but it's not, uh, you know, I keep my uh, garden tractor in it. Okay, well, here is the, you know, and I tell people this, uh, I've installed hot water heaters in garages at, at the request of customers. You don't like to do that because that means you have both your hot and cold water line exposed in a garage, and they're saying, well, it's insulated. The ceiling's insulated. The walls are insulated. The, my windows are insulated, including my garage door. And that's true. It's it's the opportunity for that area to become uh, temperature below freezing is pretty remote unless you leave the door open, either on purpose or by accident. And I've had people call me and say, you know what? We went off. We didn't close the door or it stayed up all night and we had a frozen pipe the next day. So the human element comes into play there. If garages are completely insulated in, let's say, the, at least the, the Virginia, Carolina environment uh, with modest winter temperatures, it's not likely that that's going to freeze. But a word of caution would be that if it's something that's not used very often, I would drain that line in the wintertime. I would also insulate that line so that I might use that water if I need to longer as I move into the winter season. But in the coldest part of the winter season, I would still be draining that line unless it was an absolute must to use it. If I insulate it, would I need to drain it then? Well, I'm, I tend to be extremely cautious about these items because water causes tens of thousands of dollars of damage. 
And it may not be as important to you in the garage, but it can still cause damage. I would have the line insulated regardless uh, because it eliminates condensation from forming even when you have the warmer air, colder water coming out of the cistern, and you can eliminate some mold and mildew by eliminating condensation that forms and drips there. So I would insulate it anyway for all seasons. But if it's insulated, you have a lesser chance, certainly, of that freezing at all. And as long as you keep the door down and you think the garage, you know the garage is insulated, walls and ceiling, you're probably fine with that. But I I tend to be a very cautious person when it comes to potential water damage. What type of insulation do you recommend? I would be looking at uh, what's the diameter of the pipe? Roughly you got a half inch, one inch? Yeah, half inch. Okay. You can go to any of your hardware suppliers and you're going to find a black foam insulation that's self-adhering. You rip a piece of plastic off of it, it actually sticks together, but you buy it for the diameter of the pipe. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a half-inch pipe, you want to look for the, and they usually come in three- to four-foot sections. The very inexpensive might cost you a, a buck a piece, something along those lines, and it's very user-friendly. You'll have to cut around any fittings uh, and be sure they're insulated, but uh, I highly recommend everyone insulate any pipes that's in an unconditioned space because it's just a good insurance policy for very little money. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Appreciate you listening. And I would assume, in just following up on Bob's question, that it's only when we get the most severe conditions for much of our listing area until you get down to single digits or below zero. In most cases, your pipes are going to be okay. Yeah, and for an extended period of time at that, if you're in an insulated area like he's explained he is here, and keep the door down. I think overall he's probably safe, certainly with what he's doing. Again, I tend to be very cautious about this, but uh, I, I wouldn't be reluctant to do what he's asking to do and just keep using the water as long as I remember. Keep the doors down, keep that heat in. Yeah. Now, if you're in Wisconsin... Different story. New England. New England, those places where you have long extended periods of time that you're well below freezing temperature, that garage, no matter how well it's insulated without heat, will gradually creep its way down to a freezing temperature. Throughout uh, western Virginia, the Carolinas, the mountainous regions there, my experience has been that if even with cars, you're bringing your cars in and out, that garages usually will stay in the mid to upper 40s if they're well insulated. If you have a question and would like to join us this or any weekend, you can reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. You can reach him at 800-614-2975, or also go to his website where you find a lot of home improvement information from siding to buying and selling a home to painting, leaks, masonry, uh, also insulation, electrical questions, roofing questions, and more. It's all online at KenTheContractor.com. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. You can reach Ken through his website, kenthecontractor.com. Also at 800-614-2975. You can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor. And also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. And, you know, we have a basic rule of thumb on this program, and that is if it works for you, we'd like to hear about it because odds are it'll work for anybody. Absolutely. And there's no better reference than somebody that's pleased with a particular product And the purpose of this show is to introduce you to a lot of ideas and thoughts and hopefully answer your questions, point you in the right direction. But, folks, there are not only dozens but hundreds of products out there in in some cases to resolve our particular problem or the way we live in our house or the issues that we're dealing with. Patty from Harrisonburg, why we've been on the air, sent this email. And this is one that several of you have asked me about. We've dealt with it in different ways. But she has found a product that works that I want to share with you. She seems very high on this. And this deals with copper 
pipes and detecting water leaks. Now, there are other products on the market available, but listen to what she has to say about this. And she's also found, for her area, a local contractor that can deal with this. She said, I've spoken to you on the air about whether you had encountered problems with pinhole water leaks and copper piping. Now, there's no doubt about it. When you've been in the business as long as I have, you've seen this happen. Sometimes it, it relates to just the quality of the copper that was installed in a place years ago, whether it's an office building or a home. Sometimes it has to do with construction. It has to do with whether concrete and other items were allowed to be against this. But copper water lines, folks, can leak. And she's had a problem with this. See, she goes on to say, we've had two leaks in one year's time in the same pipe in a main floor bathroom wall causing a lot of water damage. Now, she also goes on to say something that we've discussed in the past on the show that a lot of you may not think about, and she does restate this. says, I mentioned to you that her insurance company was requiring them to get some sort of water detection system or risk losing their homeowner's insurance. This is no different than insurance on your car. If you don't change some things, your driving habits, whatever, you're not going to have insurance. So homeowner's insurance can affect whether you take care of overall maintenance on your house long term so she wants to maintain the insurance that she has they want a water detection device in place she contacted a local contractor in her area blau brothers they did some additional research and found a product that worked for her it's called flow logic 3.0 flow logic 3.0 said we've had it installed a small leak has already been detected in another area around another plumbing fixture. Now when we go away for any length of time, we have an easy, accessible keypad where we push away and then push home when we return. And she says, I thought that for you and for the listeners, you'd want to know a little something about this product. She goes on to say, obviously, it's working for her. It has already detected one problem, and it's going to prevent her from having another major insurance claim here. Folks, copper water lines, and not just copper, but there's some older-style CPVC and some other, some of the early versions out there that are prone to creating damage. And that's one reason you hear me talk about leaks on this show from time to time, encouraging you, if you are leaving home for an extended period of time, just go to the main shutoff valve and turn the water off altogether. Because while the leak detectors work, you've got to be there to deal with it. If it tells you by remote control that you've got a leak and you're a 1,000 miles away and nobody locally has a key to your house, guess what? You're scrambling to get home wondering how much damage do I have or will I have when I get back. So a good policy is simply to turn the water off to your house if you're gone for an extended period of time. And if you if you can't find that valve, if it's not readily accessible, then I certainly encourage you to at least go to your washer connection, turn those valves off because I've seen effects of uh, the uh, the hose to the washing machine bursting and flooding areas there. You've you seen wa- this personally. Yes. You want to go through that. I've seen this personally, <laughs> yes. which is why I said that. It's not fun. You don't want to have problems with it. Go turn those things off. But anything you can do in terms of preventative maintenance or just thinking ahead when you leave your home, turn the hot water heater off, the power supply to that. And especially if you're going to turn the water off, you want to be certain that you've turned the power off to the water heater. But it saves energy. It eliminates some potential problems for leaks when you're gone. If you're on domestic water, meaning from your city or your county as opposed to your own well water, some of the issues that occur are completely beyond your control. There are line surges, pressure surges that occur constantly in domestic water supply. And if you've got a pipe system that's uh, designed or works well at 100 PSI, that's uh, pounds per square inch of pressure, and all of a sudden that the pumps on a pumping station nearby come on and throws it up to 200, in the region that I live in, I have seen serious damage within homes because of that 
issue. So all kinds of things can happen. If you simply shut the water off at the valve, you know what? You've eliminated that potential while you're gone. So we always appreciate you sharing information with us, things that you found out in the marketplace, local suppliers or vendors that can take care of your issues. Patty, thanks so much for your email and for sharing, and good luck with your leak problems. I've got one that somebody asked me to bring up to you. Uh, we have not seen a lot of severe winter weather yet in much of our listening area, uh, but they wonder with the development of new windows do you still need storm windows? When should they be utilized? Or in many cases, are the newer windows enough to protect you and give you the type of insulation you need? Uh, very good question, because we will talk a little more in another show about storm window options in depth. But this lets us touch just a little bit on that. The newest windows in the marketplace, and I mean that within the last even five to ten years, the technology that's there the, they are much tighter in terms of air and water infiltration. Those are two key items I look at when I'm buying windows because if you look at price point, you're going to find sometimes the cheaper they are, they might be more attractive. They might look the same on the surface. The price might be more attractive, but they don't perform as well. And if you're buying an underperforming window, then that likely means you're going to have to come back if you want to maximize your energy efficiency and apply storm windows over time to that. So I'm going to encourage you when you're buying replacement windows or building new that you look at two key elements beyond the attractiveness of the window proper or the materials that it's made out of or the color of the window. Look at the energy efficiency rating on it. Look at the air and water infiltration statistics on that window. And you're going to have to ask for a data sheet from the sales company. That's not something that they plaster all over the glass. But you want to find something that does, that allows the least amount of air, the least amount of water to penetrate that because you're going to save maintenance issues down the road. And you're going to eliminate the need, in my opinion, for ever considering storm windows because they are so tight. Now, you want to add some conveniences to that if you want to be able to tilt those windows to clean the outside from the inside, especially if you're on a multi-story home or difficult to reach or get to places, that's going to be a plus. Thermal pane glass, at least two pane. For some of you living in, in colder winter environments, you may want to consider the triple glaze, the triple pane glass, which has even greater thermal values. For those of you living in moderate winter to even southern conditions, uh, you might be, in my opinion, wasting your money if you're buying a triple glazed glass because it just doesn't get that cold, and it's not going to help you that much in terms of the summer side. But all of these are options that you have, things to consider. The technology and the products that are available for us are outstanding today. But again, like one of our callers earlier that was doing research, do your research. As you said, Jim, you see a big dispar- uh, discrepancy in prices. Get multiple bids. When you've done those things, you have to feel good, at least I do, about the products I'm buying for my own use and that I'm buying for my clients. Storm windows may be something that's getting faded out, but I'll tell you this one thing that I find a need for more and more, and that's screens. That fresh air that a lot of people, because their home is bottled up so tightly, boy, those in my mind are almost a 12-month-a-year. Uh, I see no real reason to take those out anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I wouldn't build a house uh, today, and I haven't for years, without screens on them for that reason. Houses are built so tight, you have very little natural fresh air that comes to the inside other than when you open and close the door. Maybe you bring, uh, you've got some type of uh, an intake air fan. But anyway, consider that always, screens. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You can reach us at 800-614-2975 and also online at KenTheContractor.com.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com. 